Hey everybody, thank you for listening to the Small Town Podcast. Connor here. If you find this episode valuable, be sure to share it with your friends and leave a review on iTunes or wherever else you're listening. Also, I invite you to check us out on Patreon if you're interested in helping to support this podcast. You can find a link to that in the description of this episode. All right, enjoy the conversation. For a little while, someone teaches you how to make beautiful music and you follow their rules but then once you've mastered those you come into your own ownership of what is beautiful and your own mastery of music and so you break the previous rules that someone else had to make Because beauty is much bigger than just one person's rules. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Have I told you one of the most profound food experiences I had? I don't. Maybe is it with Ethiopian food? No, that's a good guess. I don't think you have. It was on one of the road trips. Where you ate gasoline bread. No, that was horrible. Kerosene bread? That was terrible. Someone had packed, I don't know, for some reason I'm thinking it was Macklin, but it might not have been. Maybe it was Aaron. I don't know. Somebody somebody packed the food and the butane in the same container. Yes, oh, it was butane. So <laughs> it got in the, or white wait, gas. Wait, or maybe it was white on. gas. You're, you're telling me the story of the most profound food experience. You're not retelling me that story. Well, What's your food experience? So we... This was not on the California trip. This was on the Yellowstone trip. So the Badlands was one of the most amazing places in the U.S. that I've been to. And I think part of it was because we didn't expect it to be. It just kind of happened. So it's not like there was a landmark. I mean, Rushmore is there, and that was cool. Like, it was neat to see Mount Rushmore. I didn't realize how big it was. But, um, and I mean, the weather was great. But... But this was not that. This was, we just parked at the side of the road and we had breakfast at sunrise. And we had slept the night before in the parking lot of a hotel just for four hours um, just to get some sleep because we had driven all night or all day the day before. And uh, we knew that Rushmore was going to be our next stop. And so we had just a little bit left to go. So we woke up early in the morning before the sun came up and then as the sun was coming up, we parked by the side of the road and we made oatmeal and it was the, you know, the processed oatmeal that you get in those packets that we basically lived off oatmeal and fruit smileys the whole time. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> am I supposed to have this? Uh, sure. Whatever. <clears throat> and, uh, <laughs> and it was amazing. I mean, I'm sure it breaks all the food rules of what makes good food, but for us, it was... It was a, uh, for some reason, I look back on that as one of the best experiences of the whole trip. Mm. And it was early on in the trip, so we still had a lot of energy. We weren't exhausted yet. Um, we played frisbee for a little while. Um, there was tall green grass on either side, and it, the weather was perfect. And uh, and it was when we still had the good flavors of oatmeal because we hadn't been there so long that. We ran out of the bad flavors I've and only bananas and flavors. cream were left. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So 
oatmeal, there's kind of a hierarchy of oatmeal flavors. What's the hierarchy? The hierarchy is strawberries and cream is at the top. Oh, boy. And then it descends to blueberries Quickly? and cream. <laughs> Peaches and cream is actually pretty good, but bananas and cream is not good. Okay. <laughs> so there was kind of a running joke that we always made Josiah stuck with bananas and cream. Is it true? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So we would eat all the others, and he said he didn't care, so. Oh, well, then that's not so bad. So that was probably one of the most profound food experiences I've had. Like, I was thinking, I wanted to ask you what some of your most profound food experiences have been. And, I and then some. I got to thinking about my own, and that was what came to mind, was that oatmeal there on the side of the road, mm-hmm. not far from Mount Rushmore. It was just something about that moment. So when I lived in a dorm for high school and it wasn't because I was a bad kid, it was just what you did (laughs) when you lived in a foreign country, uh, I was homeschooled and then my parents thought it was best for me to put me in a boarding school, uh, to get the best education. So while I was there. Oh, you mean being in boarding school wasn't because you were a bad kid? Yeah, I found out. They weren't like trying to get rid of you or anything. No, they loved me. And that's why they put me in boarding school is so that I could get the best education possible when we lived in Indonesia. So, uh, when I lived there, we had, there were three dorms and we lived in the best one. I lived in the best one with my sister, me and her. And, uh, we had the best cooks in our dorm. And I have this memory of a new item they put on the menu, and it was grilled stuffed burritos. Okay. So everybody would get so excited about these grilled stuffed burritos because they were just awesome. Burritos are great anyway, but then when you add the crunch to it and, like, it's just so good. Anyway, so it's just big, and you know you're going to be full because it's this big, whopping burrito, something you would get at Moe's. And so <clears throat> it's Indonesia. We're about to eat dinner all together as a dorm. The lights go out because it's Indonesia. Power cuts. It's pouring rain outside. And so what we decide to do is eat our burritos outside and watch the rain. So I had just, I think I had just gotten done with swim training or something really active. So I was so hungry and I take my warm, but still crispy burrito and I sit out on the front porch with my dorm family, some of them, and I eat my burrito and the rain is there and the lights are off and it's late afternoon that was such a good burrito. <laughs> it was so good. It was such a happy memory. Was it that really hard rain? Mm-hmm. Yep. Where it's loud and... It almost creates a wall yeah. when it comes off the roof. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think makes moments like that so special? Because... I think part of it is the fact that it's sort of spontaneous. Yes, you can't usually, I mean, I don't think I've ever been able to plan something like that. So, yes. Like you can't think, okay, I'm going to have the most amazing food experience today. Yeah. 
I've never thought about what makes it. I think there's a component of gratitude, Hmm. spontaneity, gratitude. It's usually shared with other people. My moments are. Yeah, that's got to be a big part of it. Except for one. It's shared with other people. Except for one? Yeah. Well, no, because I was pregnant, so I had William. (laughs) You were not alone. (laughs) No, I wasn't. So... So, no, I had never been alone. What was your experience with William? What are you talking about? So, we have a local Mexican. Oh, yeah, place, Tulum. Tulum? Yeah. I think it's Mexican. And I went and got myself some fajitas from there. And they make everything from scratch every day. And it's beautiful prices, unbelievably cheap for the quality of food there. And I went. And ate the whole thing by myself. And it was the most, it was a transcendent moment. Worshipful? Yes. Yes. Okay, so here's the thing for you. It's Mexican food. Burritos and Tulum. That's not true. But I guess (laughs) two of my moments have been with Mexican food. Mexican food is very good. Yeah. But, oh, there was another one I had. Okay. It was Italian. Here, I want to prove prove that I'm not just a, a Mexican momenter. Were they Italian burritos? No. No. <laughs> it was a it was also in Indonesia and a local hole in the wall Italian place popped up. Okay. With a legit Italian chef who for some reason moved to Indonesia. And I had tortellini that he made. Mm-hmm. I ate every tiny tortellini by itself. Because it was so good. What's a tortellini? Tortellini is, is, uh, well, it's pasta that has been folded over into a little triangle with a little pouch of something inside it. So it's like a Italian dumpling. Well, okay. you, you know what tortellini is. I mean, I think I would know it if I saw it. I get all those terms mixed up. It's it's a little triangular ones like this, and they have a pouch of something. Okay, so it's Us- a kind of pasta. Usually cheese, yes. Okay, pasta with cheese. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all basically the same thing, just in a different shape. If you want to think about it that way, you can. <laughs> but it's all the same ingredients, right? I most of the time. Okay, the experience <laughs> is different because the That's form right. is different. That's right. Okay, all right. No, I think community is a big part of it. I think so, too. To have a really magical food experience, it needs to be shared. Yes. I think gratitude, surprise is another element, the part where you, you Spontaneity. can't... Spontaneity. You can't plan it. <laughs> You're suddenly surprised by how good it is. Mm-hmm. And the environment also adds to it. It can. Usually does. Yeah, because in both of our cases, well, not the Tulum, but the first two, the one I mentioned and the one you mentioned, they're both outdoors. Like with me, it was the sunrise and the grass and the breeze, and for you, it was the rain. Uh, Maybe it's because it... In those moments, I feel like part, part of me that I'm not usually in touch with was there. It woke up. Because I'm more, I was more aware in that moment. Aware of what? Everything. Okay. 
okay, well, you know that I think food has the power to nourish both the body and the spirit. Yeah, we're going to have to explain what we mean by that, but yes. Well, this is a, a way in. Okay. It's maybe in those moments when food is so profound and that memory is something we hold on to of those moments. It might be because that food has brought us into an awareness of both our body and our spirit, and somehow we can experience both at the same time. Okay. Who knows? <laughs> but that's an idea. So here's, There might be something along those lines. Here's a way that I think about that might it. That kind of weird. Tell, tell me what you think about this. Sure. It's like food... If we're talking about a like a sort of spiritual experience mm-hmm. that you get with community and gratefulness and just a really special moment, it's not that food causes that. It's more like it facilitates that. Yes. It provides a space for people to just slow down, do something with each other, and just enjoy something. So it's more yes. like, it's not like it's the source of no. the magic. Definitely. But it, it's a facilitator. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like if there's like a phone call between two people, it's not that there's anything magical about the phone, but the phone facilitates the interaction or maybe mm-hmm. like Lucy stepping into Narnia, the, the wardrobe mm-hmm. it's food would be the wardrobe into this special experience. Yeah. That's a very good way to put it. So like on Wednesday nights, I've been talking about sacred space and priesthood and in, your, in our Bible study, our church yeah, Bible and study. Yeah. Yeah. Wednesday night home groups and food seems to show up a lot with priesthood. So first you've got Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and part of their job as priests and part of how they fulfill their role is to eat the priestly food, eat the food of the garden, the sort of sacred food. I guess that is some, that is true. That is part of the instructions. And then when they forfeit their role as priests and they're kicked out of the garden, they're no longer allowed to eat from the tree of life. Um, and they have to work very hard yeah. for their food. Now. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, those, those special experiences come a lot harder now, and they're much more rare. Um, and then you think about the Levitical priesthood and... And the way their source of food was was uh, was bread and wine. It was sacrificial food that they could take part in because of their job as priests. And it was also the sacrifices of the people, the animals yeah. they brought. Yeah, yeah. They also had some sacrifices. Yes. So anyway, that's that's all rolling around in my head right now. There is something deeply, and I like this phrase, even though it's not very clear, I think it does capture what I'm trying to say. There's something deeply human about eating food, good food, together. There's something deeply human about that. More than just body nourishment? Yes. And that's what I touched on earlier. Because to be human is to be both body and spirit. We're both. 
and food has the power to uh, nourish both, impact both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is what I like about your approach to food. It's 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 holistic. It's the whole person. It's not just the body. Yes. So I'm used to thinking about food when I think of like what's a good meal. And I don't think this is good. I think in terms of um, like its effect on my body. Mm-hmm. So I think, well, this meal has a lot of protein and a lot of fat and very little carbs. So all things considered, it's a pretty good meal for me. And it's so many calories. Mm-hmm. And that's how I think about it. It's very body-based and nutrition-based. And you know I track calories sometimes just mm-hmm. because I'm interested in that sort of thing. And so that's the way I think about food. And you're, you're talking about something completely different. You're talking about, well, I mean, I, I guess they're not mutually exclusive, they but are. it's a different emphasis. So you're talking about, you're talking about a spiritual side of food that I don't usually think about, but, but I find really compelling. Oh, well, I'm glad. <laughs> uh, I think it's just fine to think about food that way, the way that you're, nor- the way that you're used to thinking of it. And I think that's part of how you should think about food is what it does to your body and if it nourishes it. But I think if that was the only way you thought about food, you would be missing out. Because I have experienced this too many times to have any room in my mind that I'm, uh, that I'm wrong about the power of food to nourish the spirit of the body as well, the spirit of a person, the heart of a person. Could you give some examples? When, let's see. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I I think this would be helpful for people. I I agree because it's abstract and it can be very weird (laughs) if not explained correctly. I mean, here's one example would be uh, like, the fat content in food can affect emotions. Yes. Yes. Well, the example I was going to give was how my mom can cook something for me. And when I eat her food, I feel how much she loves me. And it, it not only, not only do I feel full Mm -hmm. and my body receives what it needs to continue functioning, but something in my heart responds to her cooking because she's made it intentionally with love for me. Mm -hmm. There's something else happening when I eat her food. When, when When she's made it so special for me. And I've encountered it countless times in her cooking. And that's that's what I'm getting at when I mean that food can can impact more than just the body. It's let's say for Wednesday night when I cooked our first meal together because we've been meeting for like three weeks now or something, and I cooked the first one, the first dinner for everybody. I I did think about you know 
is this going to nourish their bodies? Is this going to taste good? Is this going to be enough? Are people going to feel full after they eat this? But then I also, I, I cooked that food with thought and knowing, like, I wanted to love the people that okay. were coming. Okay. And even though that sounds abstract and weird and, and can be weird, I think it affects the flavor of the food. And there's something like I can love people with the way I cook and whether people realize it or not, I do think it has an effect on them. So I, I made that first meal with as much love as I could put into it for the people that were coming. I'm lost. I don't know where I was. No, going that's with a good that. example. That's a good example. And it doesn't, what you're talking about isn't dependent on like how fancy the food is or how expensive the ingredients are. Right. Like when I, when you and I were students, we actually met at a potluck. Mm -hmm. Um, My roommate and I would have people at our dorm after church. We just called it Sunday lunches and people would come over and just bring whatever because we were all broke college students and someone would bring... I don't know, a drink and someone would bring a side and I would make mashed potatoes and Caleb would make chicken and we would just kind of Mm -hmm. all form a meal together. And that community was so vibrant and so, um, I don't know, so wonderful that our relationship was born out of it. That's true. Um, and other friendships were strengthened, and that would probably be another example of the magic of food. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, this is not a hippie approach. Like, I'm not trying to be weird about this, and I hope that doesn't come across. And what, if, if folks listen to this, I want them to try and remember a time can you remember if somebody cooked something for you and you felt something more in the food than just what you were eating? And that something was probably put there by the person who cooked it. There's, there's a love that can be transferred in food or comfort or kindness. And you couldn't get that by cooking for yourself? No. You can't. You can't get that love experience. That's right. By loving yourself through food. That's right. You have to love somebody else, and somebody else has to love you. You can't do it yeah. for yourself. You can say, "Oh, that tastes good," but that extra component in there, the other dimension of food, can't be activated by yourself mm-hmm. for yourself. It has to be for somebody else. Can it be in a restaurant setting? Like, can a really good chef, who really loves what he does and puts like love and thought into his food and he's thinking about the customers. Yes. Cause you had, you called it a transcendent experience at Tulum. I did. I wouldn't, I, w- I don't know if that would be, well, I don't know if that was the chef doing it. I did feel very loved by God. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> In that moment, because the food was one so good. It was so good. 
And two, I was so happy to be feeding my son this food because I was pregnant and I was so happy to be nourishing him. And then third, I felt so loved by God to be eating such good food that was going to benefit me. I felt his love in that food. Okay. So maybe the chef did something, but I don't think so. I think God God needs the credit for that experience because it was him. Mm-hmm. Well, ever since we first started talking about this, I've been rolling it around in my head because I don't I don't remember ever hearing this sort of thing from anybody else until. Well, I was going to say until I met you, but really, it's been since being married to you because I don't think mm-hmm. I don't think you were making these connections during your student time. I think this. Maybe it was developing. It was but, developing. But I think you have, your approach to food, the way you describe it now, is a pretty recent thing. It is a recent thing. It happened while I was pregnant. And I don't know anyone else who talks about it this way. But again, I find it really compelling. So, oh, I'm so glad. I've been I've been wanting to kind of pick your brain on it and 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 kind of put words to to what I see in your eyes when you talk about this sort of thing Mm -hmm. in a way that makes sense to me and to other people. Mm Because I think it's important. I mean, everybody eats. Yes. I mean, if we don't eat, we die. So there's (laughs) something there. (laughs) Yes. But then you think, like, we didn't have to be made that way. We did Like, God didn't have to make us depend on food. I talked about this with Dr. Schatzer when we were talking about transhumanism. Like, God didn't have to make us need sleep. I mean, yeah. we sleep for a third of our lives. That's yes. super inefficient. And we have to eat food or we die. Like we have to eat. We have to take in life from other things mm-hmm. in order to keep going. Mm-hmm. That's so That's so inefficient. There's got to be something else going on there. There's meaning. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason. And I think you are, I think you are at the edge of seeing that meaning. Well, the things God puts, how he has arranged our lives as humans. I mean, this is as far as I've come to understand why he's done the things he's done. Sure. Is so that we can understand and experience him. Maybe not understand. (laughs) Maybe we're not supposed to understand him, but we are supposed to experience him. That's a kind of knowing. I... And and at least understand that he loves us. And so food is the most consistent place apart. Uh, well, it's the most consistent hobby, activity I do, activity that I experience him, that I find him. And that's what I call magic. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, it, the terms are interchangeable for me. Experiencing God and magic are the same thing to me. So when you say food is magic. It's him. Because you like to say that. I've heard I you do. say that. Yes. You say food is magic. You mean that you experience God. Yes. And his love through food. Yes. Okay. It's him. He is, is like, and the closest term I have is like magic to me. Yeah. It's just, it's awesome. 
And so food is the place I experience magic. I experience God the most consistently. And this, and food is a mysterious realm. And I didn't know it was. It, it seemed so plain before, I guess before I, I stumbled into this uh, waking up, I stumbled into this, yeah, understanding that it's actually much more than it seems. And I, I started to realize I felt this way about food, or no, I started to realize that there was this other dimension to food because I woke up to its, to, to the need for it. I needed this other dimension, the deeper dimension of food, because I felt its absence. Mm-hmm. And I would do things like go out to Chick-fil-A in the morning at college just to eat breakfast there, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't satisfy me. There was something I was looking for that I couldn't find, but I tried to look for it. Even though you would still feel full? Yeah, like my hunger was gone, but there was something else that was still hungry. Okay. And like, and the example is, the personal example I'm drawing from is when I came back from my sophomore year and I had just said goodbye to my parents and they were still in Indonesia. The second morning I was here and I'd already moved into my dorm room and everything. I... I was, I felt so lonely and I needed something, but I could, I didn't know what it was. And so I I just went to Chick-fil-A. I was looking for something. I didn't realize I was looking for something, but I went to Chick-fil-A and I bought myself, you know, chicken biscuits and they were awesome, but something was still hungry. Mm -hmm. And now looking back, I realized I was looking for somebody to cook for me. Not not because I was lazy or because whatever. I was I wanted I wanted I was missing my mother and I was missing her cooking and that thing she puts in her food because she loves me. And I think had someone else cooked for me and I let them love me, it would have tasted that 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 dimension that love in the food would have satisfied the hunger I was feeling. And I thought in my, you know, ignorance maybe, and and I was still in the dark about, about all this, about what I was looking for and everything. And I thought that just somebody, anybody, anything else cooking for me, just me not cooking it would satisfy it. So just going and buying food, but that wasn't it. It wasn't just, me not cooking. I was looking for something that only somebody else could give me. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's so important to cook and to eat together. And and you can take shortcuts and and because there are many shortcuts now in the age of convenience <laughs> and increasing in convenience as I like to call it. Increasing Increasing convenience, yes. Things that are already made and things you can buy at the store. Rotisserie chickens. Yeah. I think shortcuts are okay, but 
I don't know where the line is with shortcuts because at some point it doesn't become you cooking anymore. But I don't right. know where that line right. is. I don't know. <coughs> but it's important to find. Must <coughs> you? Excuse me. Well, mm-hmm. you and Reagan have kind of been on a maybe mirror journeys. Mirror? Yeah. You're, mm, you've you've me. definitely been dealing more with food. But Reagan has been getting into gardening. And I want to get her on that this podcast has. also That'd and talk to her idea. about it. Because I think I think these could be sort of almost sister episodes. Oh, cool. You know, you talking about this new approach to cooking that you're learning and this new experience of the world and like a new part of the world opening up to you. Mm-hmm. And I think Reagan might be able to add to that by talking about her experience with gardening because it's she is doing some of the work that people don't think about in this age of convenience, as you mm-hmm. call it. Mm-hmm. I mean, she brought out that green pepper and mm-hmm. she was like, here, this is for your omelet. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I couldn't tell you, I think this is kind of what you're getting at. I couldn't tell you, like, I, I couldn't tell you that it tasted better than any pepper that you could get at Walmart. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, it was a pretty normal pepper. But knowing where it came from and having that connection with the gardener mm-hmm. did make it kind of special. Yeah. That's the only recent omelet I've made that I've thought like, wow, that was a good omelet. Really? Like I I still remember that one. And I don't, I mean, I've had peppers and eggs many times and that's the one that stands out is the one with the pepper from her garden. Hmm. Like I almost, I almost posted on Instagram and like tagged her in it and like, thanks for the pepper, hashtag Stanton Garden or something. Cause she has her Stanton Garden account. <laughs> she does. And, uh, <laughs> and I didn't cause huh. I thought that, you know, nobody else would get that experience and hmm. you can't capture it and freeze it in place like that. Um, so I think that's kind of what you're getting at. There are these deeper, there are deeper things in our world that God gave us as gifts that I guess we have the privilege of discovering as we grow up and as we develop the capacity to experience him because we're not children anymore. We're adults. Yeah. And with that comes a maturity. Yeah. To engage in this world and this world is set up for us to experience God. Yes. So, and it gets deeper and deeper the further along you go. If yes, as long as, well, maybe even if you do fight it some, you still keep you going. Still, yeah. You still, <laughs> you keep, still going. keep going. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you can choose to ignore it or, and you can, you still have a choice, but well, uh, but the deep things are there for you to find and experience. Well, well yeah. What so, we so I think both. I think both you and I could say that our experience as students at Union were sort of preparation for this season that we're in now. And then I think we'll be able to say, like, ten years down the road, that the season we're in now helped to prepare <laughs> us for the next one, and the next one, and the next one. Well, so, yes, we're always being 
grown and readied for the next thing. That's God being a fantastic parent to us. But I think, I think it's helpful to think about how something becomes more theoretical and then it becomes more like uh, real concrete. concrete. Mm. So you talk about how this, this experience with food and this way of approaching it, it's not like a switch went off and all of a sudden, like I understand food now. Oh yeah. Right. It's like the seeds were there and it was kind of fermenting and growing. Yes. And at some point you turn around and I was like, Whoa. Yeah. And you can all of a sudden put words to this thing that nobody else is talking about. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel with some of the things that I've been reading and studying. Yeah. It's like there's not all of a sudden a switch goes off and I all of a sudden see the world differently. It's like my time before Union prepared me and then Union prepared me a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then I read a few books that completely changed the way I look at like reality itself. And I keep studying and keep reading. And now these ideas... They're not mine in the sense that I own them, but they're mine in the sense that that I'm not just copying what someone else says anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I've spent enough time with them, these things that I've been reading and and the way I look at the world. It's not just theoretical philosophy anymore. It's It feels very concrete because I've spent time wrestling with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're talking about in the realm of food. It's you're sort of this, this step that you're in now is sort of taking ownership of what's been, of what's been growing in you for some time now. Yes. And things are finally unfolding in such a way that I'm aware of them. Yeah. Now I kind of, now I can look back and see that's what was going on. Yeah. Similar to you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this path this path for now. I don't know what what the paths will be in the future, but it's this where this is where I'm experiencing God in a new way. Is through food. Yeah. And I'm in I am starting to think that it is very important for us to eat together food that we cooked ourselves. It's very important because something else is hungry in us, not just our bodies, but our heart is hungry for something that can only be fed when we cook for each other and we eat it together. And that, for some reason, it's been set up this way, I think, that that's where we experience God and that's what we're hungry for is something that we get to find and that satisfies us when we cook food and we eat it together. Do you mm-hmm. think that you get, well, you've been talking about so far what you get out of it as a, as a receiver, as someone on the receiving end of someone's cooking. Yes. What do you get out of it as the person who cooks? I love, I love being the one who cooks. It used to scare me because I thought no one wants to eat this. <laughs> no one, no one should eat this. This is terrible. Uh, so uh, now that I'm finally to a point where I feel like what I'm cooking is worth eating, is tolerable at least, and sometimes better than tolerable, 
I love being the one who cooks. So you're getting more confident. Yes. Not in like a prideful way, but like I can do this kind of way. Yes. And I have received so much joy. It is a joy to cook for people because I see what it does. Hmm. I love knowing the things that people like to eat and making them. I love making sweets for you. You love sweets. I grew up in a sweets household. Yeah. There was usually something around. And you get so excited when I make something. And if I make something sweet for somebody else, you get this unbearably sad, like, (laughs) body language. Like, everything about you is sad that they get something sweet and you don't. (laughs) You're like, can I have some cheesecake? Can you make me some? How about they just get a little bit and I get the rest? Like, something like that. So... I love making things that people enjoy because what's really going on is I am taking the time to be thoughtful and to remember what you enjoy. I make it and then the person that receives that understands that I went through the, I guess, trouble of remembering and creating And in this exchange of feeding somebody else, it's, it's love that's happening between these, these two people or a group of people. I get to love somebody through food. I get to love you through my food, through making you a cheesecake or making you spaghetti meatballs. And the way that impacts you is is a gift to me Mm -hmm. i end up being i feel like i'm the one that that receives the most that's why i enjoy cooking maybe Mm. it's selfish but i feel like i'm the one that receives the most is because it's my joy to cook and to and to be a part of this experience of God's love, because it's really God's love that, that we get to enjoy when this exchange of food goes on. Yeah. It's true. Wherever two or more are gathered, he is there. And that food is a part of it. And that's... Well, this is what we talked about earlier. It facilitates the experience. It facilitates it. It's yeah. like a key that unlocks this magic. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good analogy. That might be even a better analogy than the wardrobe. Food isn't the wardrobe, it's the key that opens the wardrobe. It's a key. Yeah, that's that's good. It's a key to unlock this yeah. this wonderful gift, this magic yeah. of, of God. So, so you remember I was talking about this on Wednesday night when I said that if, if something in, in your life feels extra human. Yes. Then I think that that means that you're touching on your priestly role because humans were created to be priests and priestesses. Mm -hmm. Like that job is the clearest way to describe what it means to be human and why we're here on the planet in the first place as a mediator between heaven and earth, between God and man, between man and man, like we're mediators. And so as a cook, 
you are facilitating that experience between people and this and this God. magic, this experience of, of God's God. love. Mm-hmm. So it makes it makes sense hearing you say that that you you feel like you get more out of it than anybody else is because you're taking part in this meaningful exchange. I'm, I am being human. Yeah, you're getting the best of both. Like you get to feel God's love in that moment yes. and you're also sort of on the receiving end at the same time. Yes. You're, you're getting to play, well, you're a mediator. You get to feel both sides. Because a priest or a priestess... You dropped a bomb there, so I'm going to try and unpack it because most, <laughs> I don't know, if people listen to you, you're going to be like, what in the world? Did he? Anyway, so yes, I, a, a priestess is supposed to facilitate and protect the experience, the, the relationship, the, the relationship between God and whom he has chosen to interact with, which is people. And so by cooking, I get to facilitate the interaction between other people and God. And somehow wrapped up in that is this mystery of when we interact with each other, we experience him, mm-hmm. which is what that verse is talking about. We're two or more gathered. Yeah. I am with them. Yeah. So there is this mysterious, and that's what I love about food is it's, there is another dimension going on. It's a gift. It's a key that unlocks this this magic yeah. of God's presence. Yeah. It's a place where we can encounter him if we take advantage of it. Well, even in a church setting, I mean, I know we haven't been talking about church. This has just been in just it. normal gatherings. But even in a church setting, the way God set it up for us to experience him the most clearly is through food. It's through taking Part the Lord's the Supper. Huh? Yeah, because Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. And so we can argue about, you know, what that, what that means, whether it's, you know... <laughs> whether it really is or not. Or, yeah, but, but... I think we're missing the point if yeah, we do that. Yeah, we're missing the point because <laughs> the we point... We should do it anyway because Jesus said to, the, period. The, the point is that Jesus says, this is your experience of me. Like, yes. this is what you get because I'm not here right now. So remember me. So remember me and experience me through this ritual. This until I come back. Yeah. So, and I, and I think that's probably, I think that's probably the, the most important part of being in church. I mean, you could have, you could have a pretty vibrant church that didn't have regular preaching, and I think the church would be just fine. As long as they had the Eucharist. Yeah, and I think and they were, hey, and they were free from heresy as well. Well, that's <laughs> the sermons. The sermons help keep things doctrinally sound. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just uh, saying that. But you could you could you could share God's word in other ways. Like you don't have to have like the the sermon ritual in order to keep a vibrant I see. church. I see. And I don't think I don't even think you have to have singing. I mean, I think it's important. It's biblical. It's biblical, but I think that but it's not you're, necessary so for you're a saying church. Like a bunch health. of mute people have a church. Yes, as long as they take the Eucharist. Yes, I think Eucharist is 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 the climax. Mm-hmm. the The Lord's Supper is the climax. Um, 
And for those who haven't experienced it, they might say, well, it loses its specialness or something like that if you take the Lord's Supper every week. Then you should try taking it every week and see if you can go back to taking it four times a year. Yeah. I cannot go back. The only people who say (laughs) that are the people who haven't experienced it. Because once you do, you think, why haven't I been doing this every week? Yeah. Because now I I wish I could take it more than once a week. And I don't think that is disrespectful to the Eucharist at all. No, but I'm glad that I'm glad that we don't take it too much because I think we could easily Lose. kind of idolize it. Really? Um I mean the point isn't Eucharist. I mean the point is the point is Christ. Experiencing Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I want to experience him as much as possible. So yeah. that's what I'm trying yeah. to Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean the reformation the the reason the reformation happened I mean for good or ill, depending on how you look at it, was because a lot of these sacraments got idolized. Out of whack. Yeah, out of whack. And the point was missed. You missed the point. Yeah, you missed the point, yeah. So I'm actually, Mm. for my part, I'm kind of glad that that we don't experience the Lord's Supper too often. Well, that might be the argument of those, of the churches that decide, the church, you know, the churches that decide not to do it every week. That's probably their reasoning as well. Yeah, but you can go too far. Like once a quarter is not... Well, and they might yeah. think you're too far, yeah. you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever, whatever... I mean, they're still obeying scripture. They still take part. They still remember him. I think in the Catholic tradition, I think there's like actually a rule in the Catholic catechism. Maybe it's not in the catechism. I remember reading at some point that there's a rule that you're not supposed to have the Lord's Supper more than twice a day. So I would be completely within the me- <laughs> the bounds of the Catholic Church. In the Catholic Church, Church yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, think about the priests. The priests have to administer it, uh, hmm, you know, well. the morning mass, and then... And then they take part of them themselves. Yeah. Hmm. So I think I remember reading that there's a no more than twice a day rule. I mean, you don't want priests drinking the wine too much. Uh, yes. Well... Food is magic. <laughs> Food is magic, yes. And that's a good picture. So the Eucharist is a good picture because it's so simple. Like bread and wine, it doesn't get much simpler than that. And so the picture that God uses of his experience, of this like experience of himself, it's not fancy. It's not like caviar and... No. I don't know what would go with caviar, but... That's okay. Crackers? (laughs) Sure. Um... It's simple. It is. So what makes food magical is not the expense or the fanciness or how many syllables are in the word. It's the presence of God. Yeah. It's love. So you were talking about um, preserving food tradition? Uh, Well, yes. What do you mean by that? Well, as we move forward and food becomes even more easy, as in you don't need to cook as much, and ready-made food either from restaurants or grocery stores is increasingly accessible and affordable, I am 
I think maybe anxious. I'm concerned that cooking is in danger. And the gift, the magic that cooking and eating together, that gift to us that we're, it's, it's, it might be lost. It's certainly jeopardized. And if we're not careful, we may lose it. Like many things, I think many things are on the brink of being lost. Many gifts of God are being lost. They're at least in danger. And it's, it's the places that we experience him. So I'm, I'm on one hand not surprised that as the longer we're here on earth, the more places that we experience God are being lost. I'm not surprised. And those places are gender, family, food, quiet, nature. Those are just some of them, the yeah. gifts that God has given us so that we can experience him. So um, I think along the lines of what you're saying, I don't mean to interrupt if you want to Go keep going. It. Nope. Go for um, it. I was listening to a John Eldridge podcast recently, and he said something that I hadn't made this connection before, but I think he was right on, mm. is that this is not a hard time to be human in terms of the body. Like the body has it great right now. I mean, health is great. We're yeah. not, there aren't a lot of wars going on. Mm-hmm. Life is pretty good in terms of the body, but in terms of the soul and the spirit, this is, he used the word gnarly. He said, this is a gnarly time mm-hmm. to be human on a soul level. Yes. So it's like, yes, there's going to be difficulties in every age of history. It just looks different. It is. And yes. right now, what makes it hard to be human is, is more intangible. It's, it's soul level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really hard it is so that's why i feel so also tying it back to being a priest or a priestess a priestess is not only supposed to facilitate the interaction between god and man but is also supposed to protect it Mm. and i think well given that i'm passionate about it already I'm guessing that this is one of the things that I'm meant to protect more so than the others. This is like, I think people have different, whatever good thing you're passionate about, good thing and good is defined by God. (laughs) Yeah. You should protect it. Like, and I think if we all do that, we'll we'll have a pretty good, we'll cover everything. So the way I feel about Food leads me to think that my, part of my job is to protect the gift of food and the and yeah God's gift of food to us. What's the snake? What are you trying to protect against? That uh, we won't know how to cook. Okay, so forgetfulness. Forgetfulness, and we won't eat together. Okay. All right. So it's more in, yeah. Okay. People aren't eating together as often. It's true. Yeah, that's right. We will forget how to cook and we'll forget how to eat together. 
and the importance of both. Because, well, if, yeah, if you forget how important it is, you won't do it. Mm-hmm. So that's why as, as much as I can, I want people to come just eat with us. Because we have to learn. I need to learn how to eat with people, how to do that well, and then protect it. So, I mean, I can tell you what I'm planning to do at this point, which is teach my children, our children, <laughs> teach our children how to, how to cook. And we're going to eat together and, and protect the space around the table at least once a day where it's not, you don't have screens. You actually sit and eat together. That's, that's part of the reason that I, I'm really touchy about eating at the table together, Connor. Yeah. Is because it's being invaded. It's a sacred space where we can experience God and it's being invaded by screens and rush. And anyway. No. You're doing great. <laughs> Thank you. There's more there. Thank you. I don't know if there is or not, but I'm not sure what all gifts I will be able to pass on to my kids, but one of them will be how to cook for themselves because I think that's important. And that's one of the gifts I've been privileged to experience myself so that I feel like I can pass that on easily. That was a gift that was passed on to me. Again, I, th- I think it's important to clarify that you're not talking about, you're not talking about like being an expert chef no. or teaching your kids how to do these really complicated things. No. We're talking about just being able to m- make food for someone else. Mm-hmm. And, and make food for themselves. Yeah. So like learn so that they can cook for themselves when they're by themselves and then also cook for other people. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. And no, it's not about being fancy. But you do want to eat good food. <laughs> it doesn't have to be fancy, but it has to taste good and be good for you. Well, both most of, of our, the time. Both of our experiences that we mentioned were really simple foods. I mean, burritos and oatmeal. That's yes. pretty simple. Yes. But that's where the magic is. Mm-hmm. How did you... I mean, I see some of it from outside, but how did all of this first start to percolate in you? <laughs> oh, I, I don't, I haven't spent much time thinking about where it came from. I mean, it seems to me that, that at least visibly a lot of it came out of reading Trim Healthy Mama. I mean, I'm sure the seeds were there long before, but, but I think that's when you first started like actually taking ownership of it. Because you were Maybe. reading that book and there were things you agreed with and things you disagreed with. Mm-hmm. And then, like the way you approach food, I don't think it's still, you're not completely on the Trim Healthy Mama train. Certainly not. But, <laughs> like, even though there are things you disagree with, it helped get you thinking about it. it and did. it gave you, it gave you, it gave you room to explore. And to kind of decide what you think about it? Mm, yeah, that that's a fair way to say it. Dream Healthy Mama is a, they wouldn't call it a diet. It's an eating lifestyle. 
for the purpose of maintaining a healthy weight. So I did that for a while. I read the textbook. Like well over a year. Yes, I did. And found that it didn't work for me. I mean, I stayed around the same weight and all that, but I didn't. And I, I felt good sometimes, but on the whole, I don't think I felt very full. And, and like I said, at another time, I could have been doing something wrong, but I don't think I was. I didn't feel full and there wasn't magic in that food. Hmm. There wasn't. And we know people who have drawn a lot of value from it. Yes, it's it's greatly benefited some. Yeah. But it doesn't benefit all. Yeah. And I'm on that side. <laughs> I'm on the part where it didn't benefit me. And so as my food journey continued, I started to wonder if maybe our bodies are highly individualistic. And therefore, the way we eat should also be highly individualistic. And uh, we've talked about this before, you and me. That in the future, I think the best way to eat is a two-sided coin of listening to your body to tell you. Like your your body cues. Because sometimes we get hungry for things and they're good for us. Yeah. So you should listen. But then on the other side of the coin is you don't listen to your body. <laughs> you, de- you need both. You need to listen and you don't need to listen because your body sometimes will tell you to eat a whole gallon of ice cream and you know you shouldn't. But then at other times, like when I was pregnant, my body craved pasta. And for the past like year and a half, I'd been doing Trim Healthy Mama, so I did very low carbs. But then when I got pregnant, I started craving high carb things. And I was talking with Reagan, my best friend, and she said, Angela, you should probably, you should probably listen. Hmm. <laughs> and I said, you know, I was going against my year and a half of mental, physical training not to give in to, you know, white flour, and pasta and whatever. And I, I gave in. I gave in. I listened to my body and I started eating potatoes and pasta and I felt better Hmm. so i um that took a little bit to get used to i thought you know this is maybe they're not the food bible (laughs) true healthy mama i thought they were i thought they were the truth of about food but I don't think they are. I think they're very useful. Trim Healthy Mama, along with other diet things, I think they can be very helpful. And for some, I think that it is a lifelong thing, perhaps. But every every system, every body has its own needs. And has its own way of operating and functioning the best. And so the way I see it is whatever makes your body operate the best, you should do that. And as much as you can, participate in the magic of food. 
And that comes with being open to hospitality. Not only is that biblical, it benefits you because it's biblical. (laughs) God tells us to do good things. Um, Well, if you have some sort of disordered approach to food, like if you eat too much or you don't eat enough, uh, community can help break that. Mm -hmm. Because community inherently creates a food balance. (laughs) Because, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's a lot harder to huh. eat too much when you're eating in community with people. That's very true. And it also, it's hard to... Eat too little. Eat too little. Yeah. That's true. That's very true. I love that. That's awesome. It's a built-in safeguard. Yeah. Yes. So as much as you can, like, if diets help you, if you feel good, then you should do them. But... Listen to your body. Yeah. Participate in hospitality because that's where you're going to find the magic. That's where you're going to find the love of God is when you eat with other people and you don't burden. You, you, you bend, you make a dent in the key and it won't open up God's, the magic that food has. If you put this burden of like, no, I can't eat too many carbs. Or whatever, unless it's for a medical reason or, yeah, I don't know. Like there are some who are doing, who are following eating lifestyles right now that need to, and that should for their own reasons. Wow. Well, I don't like it when people are so ambiguous like this, like some people should and some people shouldn't. And, but I, I am starting to say that. Well, (laughs) some people should and some people shouldn't. So we've been, I mean, we've been processing this for a while. So that's a hard fought conclusion. It doesn't seem hard fought now as we're talking about it, but we, you and I've been talking about this multiple times. So not, not just on the podcast, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, the topic of food has, has been coming up a lot lately because Mm -hmm. it kind of touches on what both of us are learning in life right now. It's kind of a good analogy for things. Mm -hmm. So I think... This is my theory, and I've told you this before. Is this the one I really liked? I don't remember. Try me. I think that I think that the point of diets, and I think this is what Trim Healthy Mama did for you, as someone looking in from outside, mm-hmm. is I think it it provides a, a disciplined structure yes. for you to learn yourself. What your body needs. Right. What my body needed. Yes. So... For most people, now there are exceptions, like you already said, some people have autoimmune disorders or, or they have they have weird allergies mm-hmm. and they need to stay away from certain kinds of foods. And for them, the diet <laughs> keeps them from dying. So, <laughs> but it, you're not one of those people. And I th- most people are not those people. Yes. So I think that it's good for people who are first learning to get healthy with food to submit themselves to a diet plan, even if they end up not sticking with it permanently. It's mm-hmm. helpful because you need some sort of structure in order to find mm-hmm. where you are. So I think this is one reason why fasting is so helpful for people is by restricting the food that you eat, you actually reorder your taste buds to learn again how to listen to your body. Because if you go on a 24-hour fast food that you thought tasted bad suddenly tastes really good. And you're not going to be craving ice cream. No, you don't. You don't. Your, your cravings change. Mm-hmm. They change. And you are less 
you are less tempted by sugars and you could more easily hear what your body naturally wants. Mm -hmm. And so the discipline of submitting yourself to something external Mm -hmm. provides a space for you to internalize it and eventually break the rules, but you have to master the rules first. You do. So I like to use the example of music. Um, And again, we've talked about this before, but I mean, I took piano lessons for years and now I do things that my piano teacher would have gotten mad at me for, Hmm. but that's okay because I'm no longer submitting myself to my piano teacher anymore. Mm -hmm. And you're a fabulous musician. Well, thank you. I I try, (laughs) but I like the analogy of music because I think the best musicians are the ones that actually break the rules, Hmm. but you can, you can't, an amateur musician can't get away with that. It has to be someone who, who, who knows the rules well enough to play with the edges of what's acceptable. So I think John Mayer is a good example of this. He's not fancy with his music. If you listen to a John Mayer album, he doesn't have all the, he doesn't have a lot of like super hard guitar riffs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. His techniques are actually really simple, but he can flirt with the edge of what he can get away with musically. And he'll, he'll bend the rules just a little bit. And it's, really compelling to listen to. And even people who aren't musicians can feel like, oh, this is really good, but they can't articulate why. And I think the reason why is that he has mastered his craft to the point that he can get away with breaking the rules a little bit. So to use you to get back to food, you, that Trim Healthy Mama was good for you because it helped you explore your own Mm -hmm. identity with food. And now your approach to food is your own and you can break the trim healthy mama rules because you've kind of earned the right to do that, if that makes sense. Well, the point of, to use your analogy, the point is to make beautiful music. Yes. And so for a little while, someone teaches you how to make beautiful music and you follow their rules but then once you've mastered those you come into your own ownership of what is beautiful and your own mastery of music and so you break the previous rules that someone else had to make beautiful music Mm -hmm. Because beauty is much bigger than just one person's rules. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I hope I explained that okay. The point of food is to nourish the body and to nourish the heart. Yes. So, Trim Healthy Mama, I adopted somebody else's system for nourishing the body. That's how they nourish their bodies. And I followed their program for a little while. Enough to realize that part of this nourishes my body, but then it's not complete. It's lacking. And it it did, like you've said, gave me the space to realize, to become acquainted with my, with my body and its needs. Mm-hmm. 
because the point of food is to nourish the body. So if something, if a program is lacking, then take ownership. Once, like I, I've, I was given the knowledge of, of how my body works more so than I knew previously. And the goal, my goal is to take care of my body so that it works the best it can. <laughs> Realistically, <laughs> as much as I can with the baby and yes, all of yes. that. So, uh, I think it's important to, in terms, and when we're talking about rules and breaking rules and submitting ourselves, ourselves to things in our respective realms, is to remember what the goal is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not breaking rules for the purpose of breaking rules. Right. But you have a, a slight dairy allergy. Yes. So a weird one that's often like kind of going away, but you avoid dairy. Yes. But sometimes I'll say, "Are you sure you want to eat this?" And you're like, "Yeah, I want to eat it." <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> so that's an example of breaking the rules sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it requires listening to your body. It does. And I I can make quite an informed decision about dairy. (laughs) Is this going to hurt me? It might. But it is a price I'm willing to pay to participate in this community event of eating blank, whatever. Yeah. So. And for people listening who say, like, I can't listen to my body right now. Like, I don't know what it wants. I think I would say, and I think we're both saying this in different ways, mm-hmm. would say you have to have some sort of discipline system in place to allow yourself to begin to listen. Until you can decide, until you can listen and you can decide what to eat, you have to let someone else tell you because you can't tell yourself right. right now. Right. Submit yourself to a plan. And train your body to follow so that when you are the leader, it'll mm-hmm. follow you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for me, a lot of that involves fasting. Like intermittent mm-hmm. fasting is really helpful with that. I do a a 12-hour on, 12-hour off. That seems to work well for you. And be careful if you're a girl doing fasting because our bodies are are very different. Hormonally, they're different. Hormonally. I did some bad juju when I did other things other other than a 12-hour on, 12-hour off. And I couldn't even do that until after I had William. Hmm. Even before I got pregnant, I tried doing 12 hours on, 12 hours off. And my body just responded poorly to it because I was still recovering from a food anxiety that I developed in uh, college. So, but now I'm fine. Yeah. I have listened. (laughs) I have conquered. Not yet, but I'm much more comfortable my body feels much more secure because I've been listening and because I've been nourishing it according to its uh, its cues that now I can fast and I don't freak out. My body doesn't freak out. And by freak out, I mean like I just get this unnatural anxiety. I used to get an unnatural anxiety when I fasted. But now I don't have that. And I feel very, I feel much better Yeah. when I do 12 hours of so, like, I stop eating at 8 o'clock, let's say. And then I don't eat breakfast until after 8. That just, that's all that means. 12 hours on. Pretty simple, on. actually. It's really simple. And most people, I think, 
would naturally do that anyway. But for somebody like me who gets like these sneaky, hungry things, <laughs> like nine or 10, it's helpful to say, no, I'm not going to eat that. It's just because I feel better yeah. the next day. Yeah. And it's just a check. It just keeps you checked a little bit. It just helps me listen better because then when I wake up in the morning, the the desires that I, what am I trying to say? The cues I'm getting are much more likely to be wholesome yeah. and accurate yeah. to my body's needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've, I'm just now getting to the point where I am sort of, letting myself break my own intermittent fasting rules sometimes because oh, I've been super strict with that for a while because I've been, I've been doing intermittent fasting for uh, like quite a, a while now. More than a year. Yeah. More than a year. And it's been, re- I mean, it's, I'm so glad I tried it. It's you been, you are a happy man. It's been such a good addition to my life and I've gotten stricter and stricter over time Yes, you have. because I started with 12 and 12 like you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then I went to eating for, what was it? Eight hours and then fasting for 16 and mm-hmm. then I got a little bit stricter than that um cut off two more hours and yes. but I'm now starting to get to the point where and this isn't becoming disenchanted with intermittent fasting or anything but if we have a late dinner with somebody or mm-hmm. I don't know Macklin and I want to hang out or something and and share a snack or a drink or something I I'm not bothered anymore by Mm. the thought of breaking that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another example of you submit yourself to a plan long enough that you kind of earn the right to break the rules a little bit. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's okay because you've internalized it. And I think there, there, for some more than others, you will need to resubmit yourself to the plan after a time. Yes. Yes. If if you do not break the rules wisely, you should <laughs> seriously consider resubmitting yourself to the plan. Like yes. I've been su- I've been curious of should I submit myself to something because I don't I don't I think my hunger cues are starting to get a little well, a lot quite dis- disordered. I think my hunger cues are getting are not in sync with the needs of my body. Mm-hmm. They're much more, yeah, disordered. So I've been wondering if I should resubmit myself to something just to correct my hunger cues. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if I do that or not. I'm going to give it a little more time just to make sure it's not like I slept badly last night. Because <laughs> it's other factors as well. It's how much sleep you get. Um, that's the only one that comes to mind right now because that's the one that's affecting me. Do you want to talk real quick about um, practically what it looks like to take food as seriously as you do? Like, I'd love to hear about your five pillars. I will talk about my five pillars if you don't bring them up again. (laughs) So Angela's kind of shy about her five pillars. She uh, doesn't like to talk about them, but I think it's super helpful to hear practically like what this, this kind of holistic approach to food looks like 
it for a practical person like me, yeah. it's super helpful. And it's also helpful because I had a podcast with Lee Benson recently. And I'm this, not on the same plane as him, so I don't go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, I said on the podcast, I told Lee Benson when I met him for the first time that he had a big impact on two important people in my life. One of them being my wife. Hmm. That's you. That's true. And did have a big I think impact. that this is one of the ways that he impacted you. You're not a 3D artist right now. No. But what he's done with 3D art is he's broken it down into its main, like... Essence. It's built the building blocks, Hmm. um, the core pieces. And so for his students, one way that he sets them up for future classes is by making them think about things like line and form and time Space, space, and yeah. These components of three-dimensional art, to where you're forced to kind of dissect it and then bring it back together again. Um, That's a very helpful way to understand three-dimensional art. It is, and I had Incredibly never thought of it in any other way until you told me one day about your sort of five pillars, and I think I don't know if. I don't know if you intended to do this, but I think you took his, his, the principles that you learned in his 3D class and you've applied them now to this other realm, this other dimension, um, because you've broken down cooking into these, these main, yeah, building blocks, I think is the best way to say it. So what, what are your five pillars? Well, it might be. I don't think he's the only source, though. Okay. The the way we the way three D and the way I approach cooking is very similar. Yes. In terms of we have a vocabulary now in which to comprehend and assess our field. Various fields. But anyway, I won't I won't die on that hill with you trying to pick where did this come from. <laughs> I'm honored that you associate me with Mr. Benson. I loved his class. All right, so the five things that I realized I was thinking about food, just my reference points uh, are texture, satiation, flavor, nutrition, and uh, what's the last one? Aesthetic. So how does the food taste? What does it look like? Does it look good? How does it feel in your mouth? Do you feel full? And uh, is it good for you? Is it going to care for your body? That's how. And there, I, there might be others. There might that list might get longer, but I can't think of anything right now there are some things that like tease being on the list but they don't quite make it they're like 0.25 of a point like what (laughs) like smell ah okay well smell and taste are pretty similar that's interesting that you say that because reagan thought it was aesthetic (laughs) see it doesn't smell doesn't is not its own yeah 
so it can't make the list. But it's it's also part it's part of it, but it's not enough to make its own domain. Well, you know how like component. if you hold your nose, things taste different. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's you don't think of food as smell. No. Even though it's part of it, you don't it's think of it. It's definitely part of it. But it's not enough to be its own thing. Like, I don't think about the smell of food <laughs> okay. when I'm cooking. Okay. <clears throat> but I think about all of the other ones. You think about how it looks. Yes. And what its texture is going to be. Yes. Okay, so this is, for the practical people like myself, this is really helpful. Oh, so good. when you're, when you are trying to create a meaningful food experience for people, Mm-hmm. What do you like consciously think about these five things? I do. Okay. I particularly think about which one would mean the most to them. Ah, okay. So, for yeah. example, if I'm making a cake or a pie yeah. or cookies for a certain occasion, let's say I'm making your birthday cake, or how about let's use a real, birth, uh, real uh, experience. So, Reagan's birthday last year. Wait, no, it was earlier this year. It was earlier this year. Okay. Oh dear, I just I just revealed that I don't actually know when her birthday is. I think it's February, but I I never know anybody's dates, even sometimes my own family. Okay, so <clears throat> I really need to put it on my calendar when everybody's birthdays are. All right, I'm sorry, Reagan. I do remember making your cake though. Okay, so I made her a cake that was her favorite cake from growing up, and I took the whole afternoon to make it and I budgeted it and everything. And it was a pretty simple cake actually. But what I was concerned about is getting the flavor right and the aesthetic because a birthday cake is, is actually a large, a large part of birthday cakes is what they look like. The, the reveal. Yes. When you bring it out. Yes. People sing. Uh huh. Is, is what it looks like. And what it looks like determines is actually, even though it might be uncomfortable to say this, it's a marker. It can be a marker of how special the day is or how much that person, if you want to convey love, make the cake look beautiful and personalized. It has the power to say I love you mm-hmm. deeply to the birthday person. So I was thinking about flavor and aesthetic when I was making Reagan's cake more than the others because I wanted the flavor to be right because she's had this cake how many times before today? Yeah. So I wanted the flavor to be right so that it would reawake all her old memories and nothing would be amiss. And then second, I wanted it to be beautiful. So I tried as much as I could with the power I had and like a huge belly at that point because I was very pregnant. Uh to make it as beautiful as possible. So that's one example. I was That's a good example. I was emphasizing those. But then we had the Dinkers over, uh, a missionary couple who are um, on a special diet. We had them over, and this was very recent. Because of their diet, they don't eat a lot of carbs. In fact, they eat, they eat hardly any. And they don't eat a lot of fat. They're on a low-calorie diet. So when they were over at our house, I wanted to cook for them a meal that would satisfy them as much as possible. Because when you're on a diet of (laughs) low calories, 
at least for me, when I went on Trim Healthy Mama, it was very difficult for me to feel full because part of their diet is is restricting calories. Uh, so I made, you know, mashed cauliflower with lots of butter and I pan fried the salmon in coconut oil and butter. And to the point where it, like that sounds maybe like a lot of grease or something, but you can't taste it. Well, you can, but it's not distracting. It's very pleasant. And it, it activates that place in your brain that says, oh, I'm getting calories. Thank you so much. I feel good. Because <laughs> your body can reach a point where I wanted them to feel full as much as they could. That's the satiation factor of yeah, food. Yeah. And so that's what I was emphasizing when they were there is flavor, but more importantly, satiation. Because I wondered how, if they felt full, when was the last time they felt full on their diet? And after talking with them, thankfully, they seemed to be actually quite happy. But that's, I feel like being happy on a diet is more is unusual so i wanted to err on the side of i want this meal to bring them peace because when you don't feel full meal after meal after meal there's an anxiety that can set in because your body's hungry and that's why you have that in the back of your head so i wanted that that voice of saying please feed me like i this isn't meeting it whatever it is i wanted that to go away i don't know if they actually needed that or not but i that's the side i was airing on when i made that meal for them so you're using these these pillars as you call them to think about the person you're cooking for yes and to Most think the time, yes how can i best love them through the food what do they need what do they need what yeah exactly how can i best love them which one should I pay special attention to because it would say it the clearest? I, I love that. It. It's a practical, I like practical things. <laughs> yes, you do. I like to, I like to bring the abstract into concrete. So this is, I find this really helpful. And I think a lot of other people will too. Like I think, I think this is, I think it's a really helpful way of, of bringing this abstract view of food down to the real world is, is, how to begin to approach cooking in this in, in a this loving format love focused way mm. yeah mm-hmm. what is it actually what does it look like practically to love someone through food mm-hmm. well i hope it's helpful i would be pleasantly surprised <laughs> you <laughs> <Or> seem like... <laughs> to respond really well through uh texture that seems to be a special one for you that's something i've been exploring recently yes is texture could you like to use the chips analogy i mean it makes so much sense when it dawned on me because i've wondered why are chips such a thing and cereal yeah yeah cereal too yeah that's right why what like reagan was feeding her son cheerios and eating them herself they almost went through the whole box like without really even thinking about it yeah they are tasteless. And they weren't even the honey Cheerios. They no, were bland. They were like cardboard. Yeah. But what is it about this cardboard thing, this little piece of cardboard that makes it pleasurable? Because you don't do something. <laughs> you, 
you don't do something like that unless there is pleasure involved because yeah. they're emptying a whole box of cardboard holes. Like, <laughs> and it was the texture. It was this momentary crunch that was so delightful that both of them were enjoying a whole box of cardboard. So it dawned on me. It was like epiphany. And that's what chips are. And that's what cereal is. You're not going for nutritional value there. Or even flavor. It's not, yeah. It's not even flavor. I mean, the saltiness is nice, but it's the texture that yeah. you're enjoying with chips. Most of the time, popcorn as well and cereal. And you think about bad cereal. Bad cereal yeah. is when it's soggy and the go. texture is gone. Mm-hmm. The, the cereal is ruined when the texture is no more. Because mm-hmm. that's the only thing it has going for it. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. So there's a small window where the milk brings out the crunch mm-hmm. and makes it better. And then it overtakes it. And you waited too long. Mm-hmm. And that's the power it has. That's the power of texture. Is two aisles dedicated to texture in Walmart. That's the power it has. Mm. And it was, it was a fascinating, I guess, dawning of knowledge when that, when I realized that what was yeah. going on. Yeah. Well, and thanks for, thanks for being willing to talk about it. Sure. I'm happy to, <laughs> I'm happy knowing that hopefully, yeah, this is one of the last times anyway. Well, it, like I, like I said, it was when you first told me about that, that I was like, wow, Okay. She's really been thinking about this. Like, <laughs> this is this is more than just a hobby. This is like, it is more than just a. She's hobby. really connecting with this and like really taking ownership of it. Mm-hmm. It was those five pillars are when I realized that like okay, this is really important to you. It is. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's been fun to watch you grow in this. Thank you. I mean, it's fun for me to be on the receiving end of your cooking, but it's also fun to just I don't know when we. When I first met you, I was a hobbyless void. <laughs> well, this isn't even a hobby anymore. I mean, yeah, we talked about that. And I remember telling you, like, like I hope you find something that you can really, like, connect that with too. that you love. But this is, I may have meant hobby at the time, but this is deeper than a hobby for you. Is this what you meant by I hobby? Don't, I don't know. Maybe. It could be. Maybe. Maybe you would have been happy with a hobby, but this is even better. I think that you are connecting with food in the same... You're starting to connect with food in the same way that Lee Benson connects with three-dimensional art. Hmm. Like, you're much earlier in the process. I mean, he's been sculpting for decades. Yes, he's a, he's a master. All you, hail. Yeah, you haven't, you haven't been cooking for decades, but, but I, think, I think you're starting on that journey. If by grace, by God's grace, I am allowed to continue this journey, I would love that. I think, I think I'd love that. And if this ends up just being a momentary thing, well, right now I'd be very sad, but I I just don't want to put myself on the same plane as Mr. Benson. I think I'm just scared of that plane. <laughs> I, I, well, I'm not comparing skill level as much as just the process and the way that y'all approach I it. I see. I see. Okay. Well, I'm I'm much more comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying now. Okay, I see what you're saying. Sculpting is more than a hobby for him. Yes, it's deep. Yeah. 
It's deep. It's it's where he finds magic. The magic of God. And it's where he encounters God. He mm-hmm. worships through it. Yes. I mean, if you talked, I mean, you listened to my conversation with him. You had a class with him. I mean, I you you <laughs> you know how deeply he feels about yes. this sort of thing. Uh huh. And I think that you are starting to become that way about food. About food. That's what okay. I'm saying. Okay. I'm much. I get that now. And I'm sorry, I didn't get that earlier. And I think, I mean. I'm starting to be that way about music, but it's fun to like experience it vicariously through you mm. because you're the only person that I've met who approaches food in this way. So it's fascinating to me as your, I mean, as your best friend, as your husband yes. to, to watch this process begin. Um, you're my best friend too, by the way. Hey, thanks. Reagan is my best friend. She's my best friend. That's girl. You're my best friend. That's guy. That's will always be my best, best friend. Take that, Reagan. <laughs> well, well, I'm glad we have that cleared up. <laughs> thanks for thanks for talking with me about this. Sure. This is this is, the end? Yeah, we gotta we gotta wrap it up. Okay. So anything you want to end on? <laughs> no, that's way too much pressure for me to like end with an inspiring like call to action. Go and cook. Even if it's ramen. Go cook, learn. And cook and eat with somebody else. You also told me recently, last time we talked about this, because I was saying, like, should I start, like, getting into cooking? And you were like, no, mm. enjoy it as a, as a receiver. There, there is, I mean, please, by all means, cook. But there is, there is a way, how am I trying to say? If you listen to Aaron Harden's podcast, the the one you did with him, he touches on this relationship between the audience and the musician. Yeah. And how both are actually equally important. And there's this, there's a magic that happens between the audience and the musician. I thought that was brilliant and true. So carrying that over into food, I think there are some that are meant to cook and others that are meant to eat. And granted, you know, we all eat together. The cook will sit down, hopefully, and eat with the other folks. But I think a similar relationship happens. Uh, a similar relationship can happen between the food and those who enjoy it. So, yes, go out and cook. But I think even more than that, Try to find your role because it's, it's how you participate in the magic. It's how you participate in the love of God because someone has to eat the food and someone has to cook it. And I think everybody, I, I think it would be fun and wise for folks to try at cooking because it's not the exact, it's not an exact carryover analogy of like the musician in the audience it's not exact but but it's a relationship it's a relationship and find your role in it your predominant role not to say that you shouldn't ever cook connor because you do cook sometimes but yeah i I cook scrambled eggs and that's about it (laughs) but the place you experience god's love the magic the most is when you are in the receiving end that is true and I experience it the most when I am giving. Yeah. 
So, wherever your role is in the magic, like for me, I'm in the audience when a musician is playing. I'm not a musician, and I'm very, very happy to not be a musician because I experience magic plenty as being part of the audience, and that's where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say I shouldn't, I can't ever play anything, but that's not where I experience God's love the most. It's not when I'm playing, it's when I'm listening. That's how I participate. So find the magic. Find your role. Find where, where you experience God's love the most and be there. This has been great. It has been great. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You're awesome, honey. All right, signing out. Bye.